Welcome to the Optimal Body Podcast. I'm Doc Jen. And I'm Dr. Dom. And we are doctors of physical therapy, bringing you the body tips and PT pearls to help you begin to understand your body, relieve your pains and restrictions, and answer your questions. Along with expert guests, our goal of the Optimal Body Podcast is to help you discover what optimal means within your own body. Let's dive in. All right, jump it into another episode. But before we get to that, we're going to give away a free month of Jen's Optimal Body program to one lucky reviewer. So if you want a chance to win in future weeks, go leave us a review. Let us know what you loved, but let us know what you want to learn more about because that is how we're forming these PT pearls so we can keep helping you move into your optimal body. Let's check out that review. So this is from I Need a Nickname for Podcast. <laughs> Unfortunately, we don't know who you are. And if you want a better chance to actually win access into the program, please email us at jen at docgenfit.com so that we can actually know who you are leaving this review. So please reach out to us so we know who you are. But it said, I came to this podcast in a very unusual way. I don't really do social and I don't really follow non-friends. So really no clue who these two are couple episodes in and I'm invested. This is a very cool blend of authenticity and overall wellness. I was looking forward to healing things like my shoulder and now I'm getting movement on what seems like mental wellness as well. Unexpected outcome for sure and looking forward to more. Like, wow, this is everything that we want to achieve in this podcast. So thank you so much for that incredible review. Please go leave us reviews, subscribe and rate and let us know your feedback. All right, and diving into another PT Pearl, today we're going to chat a bit about scoliosis. And this is going to be a fun one because, Jen, you actually have some scoliosis, don't you? I do. Yeah. (laughs) So we're going to dive in a little bit to her story, a little bit of what different people and schools of thoughts may say about scoliosis, what it is, and hopefully if you have ever heard of this or have had some issues with scoliosis yourself, we might give you a few tips to help open up your body and find some independence in that journey. Yeah, and allow you to feel better about it. I think that's the main thing because especially when you hear scoliosis, it's such a clinical term, right? Obviously, Um, it's a diagnosis. But what does it mean? I mean, and I think when we start to define it and bring relevance to the different types and what it it actually means in the body will help to free up... um, the worry about it. So scoliosis in general is a lateral curve of the spine. Lateral meaning side to side. Mm -hmm. So traditionally, if you look at an anatomy textbook, right, or a skeleton, a fake skeleton, you're going to see that the spine is in one straight line when you're looking at it um, to the front. Um, obviously when you look at someone from the side, they have these natural curves through the neck, upper back, low back, and then into the tailbone. So those are like the natural curves that we seem deem normal, Mm -hmm. right? But anytime we then get a curve to the side, whether it's in usually in the upper back and then down to the low back and there's varying degrees, that's when we look at it as bad. Yeah. And so if we see this curve on an x-ray and you go in and say you're getting an x-ray on a shoulder and then all of a sudden the doc comes in and says, oh my gosh, you have scoliosis. (gasps) Is that an awful thing? I think it's an awful thing the way that if it was presented like that, I think that's awful. (laughs) Um, 
I never like to look at an image and say this is awful because if you were having zero problems with it before and no back pain and then all of a sudden you have this thing that you're like, oh, now I can blame everything on it. And honestly, that's what happened with me. So I've talked about this slightly before, but I do believe that when I saw my x-ray and saw that I had scoliosis because I had zero issues in my body, competing in calisthenics, practicing and learning acro yoga, um, doing backbends and yoga and lifting and all these different things that I was doing. And then all of a sudden I see that I have scoliosis in my spine. Any little pain or restriction in my body, well, then it was like, well, it's because of my scoliosis. It's because my scoliosis. And I would say it's honestly toward not until this year, which is like six years later, that I'm like, why am I blaming everything on this? And it wasn't until I got that diagnosis. And so that's why sometimes I have a hard time with imaging. I get that we want to know the why, and but that's not necessarily the why. That's just a picture. That's not how I function. And that's where we also have to bring up the fact of diagnosing it when someone is standing and doing an x-ray and standing well, how was I shifting and how, like, that's why we can't look at posture and have that determine everything because it doesn't. Yeah. And again, if you look at the image, so is your spine completely straight now? Is the scoliosis gone? Do you still have pain or do I, you have any pain? I don't have pain. Obviously I have had, you know, like traditionally I get my right shoulder blade to kind of pop on sometimes, especially when I'm under stress, mm. particularly, um, that's when I'll like, it's not even in a movement. I'll just notice that my right shoulder blade yeah. kind of starts to talk to me. Uh, but no pain in my back, no pain in my upper back, no pain in my neck. Um, I function, uh, pretty well. <laughs> if yeah. you look at my Instagram, I'm doing things yeah. just fine. Um, doing the Cupid shuffle on your hands was, yeah, the scoliosis didn't stop you from doing that. It did not stop me from doing that. And I have no idea if my spine is aligned. Because you haven't gone and gotten another x-ray at this point, have you? I don't want to. And you don't really want to. And I think that that's an important message too, especially from Jen, somebody who is competing high level in calisthenics, somebody who does handstands, somebody who does this and that, who is a doctor of physical therapy herself. And then she, at the time, were you graduated at that point or were you still in school at that point? I was still in school. I was in yeah. PT school. In PT school. So a PT student coming into a doctor and becoming a doctor herself. And still when she was told that allowed it to change her story a little bit. Totally. And, and we just, I always want people to be aware of the things that the doctors tell you, you know, don't let that define you and don't let that mm -hmm. define your story because it's just a little bit more information and awareness right and if you have an awareness that there's that little curve in your spine especially if you don't have any symptoms this is amazing because mm -hmm. now that we have the opportunity to explore and explore why the why as to why we might be developing some of those curves and right. okay what can i do differently to maybe change these underlying tugs and pulls on the body yeah and well and i was really fortunate too when i got diagnosed <laughs> because it was purely diagnosed through an image, right? So I, it was in a chiropractic office where I was teaching Pilates at the time. And the chiropractor was amazing. So he didn't say, oh my gosh, you have this, like, look at your spine. First of all, I thought he was 
punking me when I first saw it. I was like, you put someone else's spine up there. <laughs> I was like, that, that's a joke. Um, but it wasn't. It was my spine. Um, but all he said was like, you know what? You're not having any issues. You're not having any pain. Maintain exactly what you're doing in your body. Stay healthy. Stay mobile. Stay active. And you'll be fine. And I was like, okay, cool. And even uh, with that, like, and people still ask me to today, well, what was, what was your degrees? And what was the, and like, we didn't measure the degrees. We didn't, we, cause it's not about that. It wasn't a, like, where's my function? I'm not going to let a degree of something define even more what I can and cannot do because I was already doing a lot. Totally. And what Jen's talking about with, you know, what was the degree, every scoliosis curve is then defined by a degree of how big the curve is or mm -hmm. how many degrees this curve holds. And again, some can have degrees of greater than 50, which are quite advanced cases of scoliosis, and some might just have a 10-degree curve. And again, like Jen said, it's not about the degrees. Mm -hmm. It's, okay, how then is that presenting? And what and why are the underlying reasons as to why we may have developed that curve yeah to whatever degree and symptom it's at at this point and usually we look at like so we might we do do a test you know when we're going through grade school i don't yeah. you did that yeah, right where, you, where like you did the, the ford full test and, and and they're looking at your back right is one side higher than the other i probably passed that with flying colors because i was a gymnast like listen guys my hamstrings no tension. <laughs> so if someone asked me to bend for it, I'm like, cool, how far? <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, so, you know, and it's like, but I, I contribute my mobility that I have in my body to keeping me from developing exasperated uh, symptoms and problems and yeah. outlooks of how it presented. And I even remember when I was I did a podcast with someone. We walked along the street uh, right outside where we live and asked varying people like, do you do mobility? Do you, How often do you do it? And all this other stuff. And the people who did it the most, first of all, were over 60, which mm. woo -woo, congratulations to you. Um, 30s, you guys were not focusing on it at all. <laughs> <laughs> which I'm like, come on. But Stages there, in life. <laughs> there was a woman and, um, well, first of all, the woman who, who really focused on mobility and stretching like three times a week, her posture, she was like in her 70s. Her posture was like better than mine. I was like, oh my God. And then this other woman, I asked her to bend down and show me her mobility. She was like, she did. She, well, how far? And she put her head between her legs. And she, again, was in her 60s. I'm like... Yeah. It was just incredible of what the body is able to adapt to when we give it the freedom to just improve on mobility, improve on strength, and don't let images and diagnoses and ranges hold you captive. Yeah. And so now with that whole kind of intro of <laughs> a little bit of Jen's story and how to kind of approach if this scoliosis thing is brought up and if somebody tells you, hey, you have a little bit of a scoliosis curve, don't let the dread creep in, <laughs> especially right away until you start to explore the why. And to talk a little bit more about scoliosis, um, there's a, a few different types of scoliosis. So the main type is called idiopathic scoliosis, which that in itself means we don't know what causes it scoliosis. And they say that that can be up to 70 to 80% of cases. 
Um, and then their other types are more so a congenital, meaning we're kind of born with a different structural thing that might um, cause us to have a little bit of curve, a, a neuromuscular, which can happen with different nervous system disorders like spina bifida or a spinal cord injury or something like that. Um, what am I forgetting? Degenerative. Degenerative, which is one that happens more so later in life when we might be having different degenerative changes of our skeletal system, skeletal system, as they say in Canada, mm -hmm. um, that might start to cause some of these different um, curves. And so what we're going to focus more on, more so on is that idiopathic type, because that right. is going to be the greatest amount. And that generally presents with people when they're in that like 10 to 18 year age and that's more females right usually more females and that's when you tend to see those curves progress the most until maturity when they kind of find their resting place unless they progress to a certain point and then they may continue to progress beyond that but um, you generally see the most progression in that 10 to 18 year range slightly more females than males um, and that's just you know a little more background on scoliosis itself so we're focusing idiopathic or the we don't know what causes it, scoliosis. And you haven't had surgery. Yeah. Um, I think that's an important thing to note too because surgery just changes things. So the moment that you get surgery, you are going to have different restrictions. You're going to have different uh, movement things that you are able to then do with your body because it changes. But here's like briefly on surgery as well. I had um, one of my favorite clients, I'm going to say that because she's just an angel. Um, she was a professional dancer, more hip hop and stuff like that. Mm. And um, so when she came to me, she had, she had surgery at, I think, 12 years old. Oh so she gosh. had surgery very young mm. in her thoracic spine, mainly. Mm. So her thoracic spine, think of it, it got fused at 12 years old. Where is the main place that we need to move from? Thoracic spine. Thoracic spine. And so that got fused so that it could look structurally better. But mm -hmm. when you looked at her, posturally speaking, her left shoulder was still way higher than the other. And because she danced and did all these crazy things, the only place that she's going to move from then low back. is her low back and her SI. Yep. So she eventually had to stop dancing. Because even though we got her foot to release from Stop. the nerve spasms and, and all of these things, and we got her to feel so much better in her body, it's still too much torque on the low back and the SI because the thoracic uh. spine was just fused. And so that's why when we talk about idiopathic and you haven't had surgery, explore movement before you before it gets locked down. Um, and even if you had the surgery, it doesn't mean that it's going to fix everything. Cause yeah. I mean, we dip into the research a little bit before we come on these things. And we looked at one study that was a big review of adult cases mm -hmm. that then went and had surgery. And it said that, okay, structurally, we would see some improvement and clinically they would note some improvement. But then right after that, it would say uh, over 40% of the cases that had the surgery had fairly significant adverse paraoperative events, which means they just had some, you know, bad um, side effects of the surgery after. So 40%. So it was almost a coin flip whether it would benefit and you didn't have anything adverse happening after that. Yeah. So again, the surgery, yeah, we might be able to make something look slightly different. And, you know, in the short term or in an immediate term follow-up, you might have some improvement of that symptom, that end symptom that you yeah. were feeling. But what did we change as far as how we move or as far as 
why that curve developed in the first place. Because mm-hmm. even though they say idiopathic, things in our bodies happen for a certain reason. And there can be so many things inside and out yeah. that can impact the symmetry or the way our body looks. Yeah. So before we give you what you should do for your scoliosis, <laughs> I think it's really important to, to note that. And we just want to go over some of the basics and then we'll get to our guest already. Um, <laughs> but but we're, when we want it, this symmetrical outside, this perfect structure of how it's supposed to look, we forget that the inside is so opposite. Mm-hmm. Our, we are so asymmetrical when it comes to how our organs are placed, uh, lobes of the lungs itself, where the heart is placed, where the liver is. It, the liver is huge too. And so that's going to play a role on how the diaphragm moves in that area. That's going to play a role on the organs on the inside That's or more of the intestinal area and everything. It's going to play a role on then how the diaphragm lifts into the lobes of the of the lungs and then the lungs are going to affect the expansion of the rib cage. The rib cage affects what's happening at the thoracic spine because it connects onto the thoracic spine, thoracic. And then on top of that, you got your shoulder blades moving along that rib cage. I feel like there's a song here somewhere. We should come up with one. Well, like the rib bones connected to the backbone. <laughs> they already made that one a while oh, ago. Oh, well, I mean like our own song, our own scoliosis. Whatever. Tune. Anyways, <laughs> we're just saying We need to stop just focusing on what the structure and the photo looks like Mm -hmm. because we shouldn't be seeking this perfect posture, this perfect symmetry when we don't function on a regularity like that on the inside and everything works just fine. And because we know, we know, we know, we know. And I'll say that we have research that says that that image does not equal the way you feel. Again, Jen had an image that looked, that had scoliosis and she had no symptoms at all. So if we're only trying to correct the image and we know it doesn't exactly correlate to how much pain we're in, right there, we've already disproved that that's going to be a good method to try and fix the symptom. Right. So again, underlying cause, root cause, and we're not just trying to attack that symptom. The symptoms are real. Yeah, yes. 100%. The pain is real. Yes. But if we only attack the image, we're not going to be certain that we're going to be able to access some improved symptoms. Right. So what do you do for your symptoms of pain then if it's not just the scoliosis? I would say that we should start to really explore all the different tugs and pulls that our body experiences, especially throughout our average day and the ones that we experience really consistently, Mm -hmm. as in how we walk and how we stand and how we sit and how we sleep and the tendencies that we tend to hold, which we are going to be the least aware of the things that we just habitually do. Yeah. And think about it. Like you probably write with one hand. You probably use one hand when you're, when you're doing more things, you probably put a bag over one shoulder more than the other. And these aren't bad things, but it's just when we continue to do it on one side more than the other, you can see how that's going to just pull on different structures. That's going to create different differences within the entire body. And our goal isn't to be a completely, uh, what is it called when you use both hands? Ambidextrous. Thank you. You're not, that's not 
the overall goal of what we're going for, but we're going for an awareness of where we put the tendencies into one side more than the other and how we can just start to expand and open up. So that's going to go into our mobility and Mm -hmm. self-assessing with that. It's going to go into our strength and not being afraid to get strong. It is not just about yoga and stretching. Like we need strength within our body. Mm -hmm. It is so crucial to be a strong human as you age, no matter what age you are. Yeah. And the spine is a very, very complex (laughs) organ in that it bends forward and back. It bends side to side and it rotates. So we work in three planes of motion and really the pulls that come from the rotational and the side to side plane can be really important to just start exploring and to say, oh, wow, I don't rotate as much this way. Mm -hmm. I don't side bend as much this way. And that's the side that's really tight. Mm -hmm. And uh, is that correlated to what's happening in my spine? Let's explore Mm -hmm. and let's see if I can start to feel a difference in how those symptoms feel. Um, And that's, I kind of dove into a great, you know, one place that you could start to explore just in how that spine moves laterally so side to side yeah how the spine moves in rotation yeah and how the spine moves forward and back yeah doing that alone you can start to find like oh wow when i try to go this way er, i hit a wall yeah and that's why in the optimal body we are so mindful about bringing in every type of movement pattern so not just in mobility through the spine because there is a whole just spine mobility every single month, but also in the strength aspects. So in the functional movement patterns, we're looking at rotation throughout the entire body. We're looking at side bending in the entire body. We're looking at front and back movement. So this is why, again, it's so, I am going to preach into the optimal body a little bit because I just, it's, it's so pertinent that people continue to explore and become aware of their body. and. And just in me doing those optimal body exercises and the way Jen cues them, again, I'm a physical therapist. I like to think that I'm fairly aware of my body and the way that she cues me through these things. I'm like, oh, wow. Like I knew I had some things in my right low side back, but it's specifically when I do these motions that I really can, you know, feel that. Mm -hmm. And, And the awareness that doing those workouts brought me, I know that you guys would find it. So shameless plug. Yeah. We like to throw those in there. Because it's what it we're out, passionate seriously. about, we, what we do, what, we how do we those, move. We exactly. do those workouts every day. Yes. So. Scoliosis. Scoliosis. I mean, really just don't be afraid of it. It's so common. 70 uh-huh. to 80% of all scolio- scoliosis cases, again, are idiopathic, meaning we don't, don't exactly know where it came from. I think I saw something like the prevalence. And we t- we'll try to link up all the studies that we have that we're reading from so you know where we're getting some of this yeah. stuff. But um, it said something like one point something to up to 5% of people in certain studies have some degree of a scoliotic curve. Yeah. So, you know, one out of every hundred people walking around might have this thing. But again, I think it's way more common than that, too. Totally. And the 5% is like more out of one out of 20 people. And yeah. I think that some degree of a curve, potentially symptoms, maybe not. Yeah. And in order to you know, hopefully prevent that degenerative scoliosis that happens later in life where you really see people tilting, move. We have to move more every single day. Mobility, strength, core, all of it. Mm -hmm. We have to move more. That's how you start to prevent that. So don't be afraid to move. 
don't be afraid to move that spine in different directions. Yeah. Um, even if it's stuck one way more than the other. Right. Explore. Welcoming to the podcast, we have Steffi Cohen, who is also a doctor of physical therapy, a strength coach, a professional power lifter, and co-owner of the Hybrid Performance Method. If you want to see more of her right now, go look up Steffi Cohen on Instagram and YouTube. And we're just so excited to have her in because she is a beast in the weight room and loves to lift weights. She's broken over 25 all-time world records and is the only female ever to be able to deadlift four and a half times her body weight, which is just so, so impressive. So she's going to share a lot of tips and takeaways from the weight room today, a little bit of her own story, and we're going to bust down some misconceptions that you may be thinking about when you think about lifting. And low back pain. (laughs) All right, Steffi, I am so excited to have another incredible doctor of physical therapy on the podcast because you are way more than a therapist, especially for what you show and do in the body. It blows me away. So for everyone listening, can you tell them some of your incredible accomplishments? I mean, we go over some of the things before, but I think it's just so powerful to hear it from you. And right from the beginning, I want people to know where they can find you as well. So during this podcast, if they want to start looking you up, I mean, they can. Yeah, thank you, Jen. Thanks for the opportunity to come on your podcast and get to share a little bit of who I am with your listeners. For anyone who doesn't know me, I am mostly known for being a power lifter. I've been lifting heavy for about 10 years now. I started in CrossFit, then switched to Olympic weightlifting, and then transitioned into powerlifting, where I've broken over 25 all-time world records and mostly known for having a really heavy deadlift about four and a half times my body weight and a heavy squat, about 500 pounds. And that is all as far as powerlifting goes. I'm also a doctor in physical therapy, like you said, and I am the co-owner of a platform called Hybrid Performance Method, which is online virtual gym that specializes in distributing affordable and accessible workout programs to people of all level, focusing on strength. So all of our programs have a slightly different focus, but they always have a strength component, a strength backbone, like I call it. So yeah. So I love that. And it's incredible. Four and a half times your body weight. That's insane. And (laughs) I played football in college and loved lifting heavy. And I was kind of one of those guys that loved putting up the quote, big numbers. But I really learned after school that I may have not been doing that super optimally. I kind of want to hear why you started in weightlifting and what drew you to this realm of, you know, lifting heavy? It doesn't surprise me. I've, I've heard that before that, you know, people that come from traditional sports like football, that you obviously have a strength component in your program, but now know that you weren't probably getting the best guidance and direction and as far as like technique goes or even programming. And that honestly blows my mind. I think it was last year I had the opportunity of going to coach a high school team, a football high school team here in Miami. And I was so shocked at just how little the the strength, quote unquote, strength coaches knew Mm. about strength training. Aside from what I mentioned, I mean, I can absolutely reflect that, that you go in and you notice, wow, these are pretty high level football athletes, but their, (laughs) their technique and how they're being instructed could be a lot better. Um, Before we dive a little more into that, yeah, what drew you into lifting heavy? So I actually played professional soccer when I lived in in Venezuela. I was born and raised there and played for about five years with a national team. 
And then when I moved to the States to pursue a career and focus more on my education and on school, my identity as an athlete was very quickly stripped away. I went from being known for being a really good soccer player to being known for nothing and just being in school. So that's when I started kind of in my pursuit for another sport that I could do that I could potentially become good at again. So not thinking about it as a hobby because I wasn't really ready to retire athletically. So just started bouncing from sport to sport. I did a few half marathons, started training for a triathlon, did some kickboxing, etc. Eventually landing in CrossFit. I don't know if you know who Noah Olson is, but he's a professional CrossFitter who went to school with me. And he was the one that introduced me into CrossFit. And that was actually the first time that I began lifting weights. And it felt so good and so empowering as a female to kind of be doing something that's very manly, you know, lifting heavy weights and sweating and picking iron and all that kind of stuff. It felt so empowering and I felt so strong. And I started developing a different relationship with my body, which is one of the most positive things that came from all of this, I would say. I know that a lot of girls struggle with this. They We have an unhealthy relationship with our body, with our training, and with what we think that training is going to accomplish. So at least for me, I went from counting every single calorie that I put in my body and counting every single calorie that I expended. And anything that I ate, I felt like I needed to work out. It's never healthy, right? You don't eat 500 calories and then spend 500 calories on the treadmill or on the elliptical or whatever. That's definitely not good, all for the sake of looking a certain way. Mm -hmm. I had a different focus. It went from wanting to look a certain way to wanting to do a certain thing, an action, or lift heavy. And that was extremely freeing mentally and extremely empowering as a woman. That's how I fell into lifting weights through CrossFit wanted to refine my skills through Olympic weightlifting, never went back to CrossFit, and then wanted to refine my strength for Olympic weightlifting and never went back to Olympic weightlifting. <laughs> That's kind of the trajectory. That is so incredible. And I love that you bring up the importance of getting women to think differently about lifting weights. I mean, even me coming from my gymnastics background, the only weight I lifted was my own. <laughs> you know, I never I never lifted weights until I got into, honestly, it wasn't until grad school when I started wanting to learn more than just Pilates and weight and body weight training and other things. I wanted to learn more. And so I started training with someone. But how do you get past the idea of women thinking, I don't want to look bulky. I don't want to lift weights because it's going to give me this bad, quote unquote, aesthetic. Like, how do you really coach women to think differently about what strength training can do with the body? Obviously, education, putting my thoughts out there on social media is one of the ways that I try to convey the message of the benefits of strength training, but also through my actions. You know, I'm, I'm very careful with what I post online because I know that I'm pretty much creating this persona that people are paying attention to and are taking notes and are looking up to, mm -hmm. to a certain extent. And so, you know, I like to portray myself as a powerful, educated, smart, respected female that also lifts weights. So I don't look like the stereotype of what women often think that's going to happen to their bodies when they lift weights. So I make sure to add that component, the component of femininity 
Yeah. I do my hair and my makeup and I'm, I'm really into fashion and into jewelry. And I make sure that personality comes out on my profile. And you have no idea how many messages I get like from people that are maybe new that haven't seen my heavy lifts that go, I had no idea you could lift that heavy. I didn't know that girls who lifted heavy could look like you. Mm, that's incredible. And, you know, I actually have a question for you going back to before you asked this question to me, how do you feel like strength training benefited your other activities? Like, cause I know you're big into body weight stuff, Pilates, yoga, and even, uh, what's it called? Tumbling? Oh yeah. Yeah. So how do you feel like it's benefited you? Honestly, it's empowered me to gain way more strength in other areas. And I just, you know, learning more and gaining more strength within the body was helped with stability all around. <laughs> mm -hmm. I've never really been much of a yogi per se. Like I love handstands because I was a gymnast and all of that. And it's kind of labeled me into the yogi type world and the flexibility and all of that. But what I really love is learning how to create more efficiency in my patterns and my movements and ways that I can feel strong so I can go out and hike and climb and do these different kinds of movements that people don't even think about. And when you get that strength within the body, it just feels so powerful and it helps to support so many other movements. And I didn't even learn until I got into grad school that I had scoliosis and it was like, oh yeah, well that doesn't really affect me either. So I just get to continue to be strong within my body and <laughs> learn how I can continue to just build that overall strength and support so that I don't have any issues. I love that. I hope that anyone who listens to any female who listens to this podcast who has never picked up a heavyweight does that immediately. We went to play baseball, Hayden and I, the other day. And, you know, before I started lifting, I was so bad with hand-eye coordination. Mm. Hayden would say that I wasn't that bad, but I felt like I was bad. I feel like strength training has, or lifting weights, has given me a better ability to, kind of better proprioception, a better ability to feel my body move in space and, and make me way better able to do other sports. Even in yoga, I feel stronger in many positions or throwing a football or sprinting. It benefits you in every single aspect. 100%. Yeah, I like that. And I bet that your foot-eye coordination is a lot better with your history as a soccer player, though. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> One question that I want to go to, you talk about doing a lot of education, you know, especially with women. And I've heard you talk about debunking a lot of myths that exist. And mm -hmm. I would want you to maybe just talk into like two of the most common myths that you hear about weightlifting or powerlifting, you know, maybe specifically when it comes to females moving into powerlifting. And can we debunk a couple of those right here for our audience? Absolutely. So I think the most common one is if you lift, you're going to get bulky or you're going to get big. What girls don't understand is that there's people who dedicate their entire lives to putting on as much muscle mass as they can and literally fail. Yeah. That's how difficult it is to put on muscle. It's not something that happens accidentally. Furthermore, the person that they're thinking in their minds or the physique that that person has is not what happens naturally. You know, a lot of girls are scared of looking like a bodybuilder, but you know, we all know that obviously they get help from performance enhancing drugs and who knows what else. Mm -hmm. So that's not what happens naturally with just lifting weights a few times. When you lift heavy, in order for you to gain muscle, you have to be in a calorie surplus and you also have to train 
multiple times per week, very hard and with a lot of reps. It's just a lot more than girls think that they need in order to put on mass. That's the first one. And the second one, differences in training between men and women. Mm. The thought that if you're a girl, there's a special program that you need to follow or you have to do all of these exercises with bands only or Mm -hmm. whatnot. But obviously there are going to be some training differences, especially if the goal is to get as strong as you can between male and females. But it's not as different as people think it would be. The main things to take into consideration are training frequency. Training frequency, just females tend to be able to recover faster from workouts since the absolute load that they're moving is less than guys. But outside of that, I mean, there's no one movement that is for guys and one movement that is for girls. Everyone should be squatting, benching, deadlifting, carrying heavy, pushing, pulling, hinging, etc. Yes, I 100% agree. And I love debunking this idea of the bulkiness. Because I will admit, I had that idea coming out of gymnastics and teaching Pilates. I was teaching at a CrossFit gym and they were trying to get me to do CrossFit. And I was just like, no, no, you don't understand. My body's already muscular from gymnastics. I don't want to become more muscular. And I just didn't realize at the time, this was high school to undergrad, what it could actually do within my body. And I don't think that people realize like, a lot of the supermodels out there, the people that they see, they're lifting weights. I know some of their trainers and I know the type of people that he works with who are supermodels and actors and actresses and they're lifting weights and they don't necessarily have my body or your body. You know, they're not looking quote unquote bulky, but they are strong and resilient within their body and it doesn't look one way. And I think people get to like move out of that idea. Absolutely. I'm with you. So what about this? If somebody says, I just don't want to lift because it's going to hurt my back or I'm going to have pain or I'm going to get hurt lifting because I've never done it before. Mm -hmm. What about that type of person who's coming in with that mindset? That is super common, especially within the Hispanic culture. Mm. They think that if you lift heavy, that you're you're going to break your back. I think that's the first one people always say. My mom used to tell me that all the time and my dad. It's hard because those are misconceptions and beliefs that are so deeply embedded into people's minds, culturally and just by society. I almost feel like I'm spinning on my own wheels when I try to explain that to people that it's not the movement that is hurting you. It's your readiness for that movement, essentially. Obviously, if there is a movement that you don't practice and you all of a sudden start loading that movement with no intelligence in progression, then yeah, that might increase your risk for a back injury potentially. But as long as there's preparation and there's an appropriate and logical progression of weight, every movement can be made safe, including a deadlift, including a heavy squat. And there's no reason why anyone's structure should be particularly vulnerable. Yes. What about your own experience? Have you had any injuries that have taken you out of sport, taking you out of competing? What have you had an experience in your body? Because it's not like we're teaching injury prevention here. Like injury is going to happen within the body. I think people get to understand that a little bit more. It's just that we want to optimize the way that we experience pain and the way that we're able to move through it. Yeah, that is a great question, Jen. Um, as a professional athlete, it's hard for professional athletes to 
be open and vulnerable about their experiences with injury and with pain, mainly, at least from my end, I don't want to be perceived as weak by my competitors, for example, or people that follow me. But I do think that it's important to talk about it because like you said, injuries are almost inevitable, right? They're going to happen. It's not a matter of if they happen, it's a matter of when they happen. If you're flying close to the sun, you're bound to lose some feathers. So, you know, if you're pushing your body really, really hard, something's going to give. For me, it was my back about three years ago, which led me to this deep rabbit hole of figuring out what the hell's up with low back pain rehabilitation. You know, from my experience, that's the only injury that's totally taken me out of the game for long periods of time. And it's taught me a lot about the psychology of injuries and how important it is to address that portion and how no matter how hard you try to be the Sherlock Holmes of injuries and try to identify one particular structure to blame pain on, you will never be able to do that. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. If it's a disc, if it's a ligament, a tendon, a bone, it really doesn't matter. What matters is what happens in your head, what your perceptions are of that injury, and how you continue moving forward after that. So for the longest time, I was so hung up on the diagnosis, going to every single PT and Cairo that I knew and MD to try to get an answer, to try to figure out exactly where my pain was coming from, what structure needed fixing in order for me to continue moving forward at a time where I completely halted my training. And it took many years of first getting rid of my previous beliefs about injuries and why they happen and how it happened, some of which sadly had been perpetuated by physical therapy school. Mm. I don't know if you had the same experience, but they're at least in my school, they really, really focused on special tests and they had a really deep focus on the mechanics of injuries and finding structures, etc. You know, it's hard to think that you're in a doctor level program and you're receiving outdated information. Like that never occurred to me. But at the same time, what I was experiencing through that injury didn't add up with what I was being taught. And that was the moment for me when I realized that I needed to be extremely skeptical of all the information that is presented to me at all times, not only in school, but obviously books, articles, even you need to understand how to interpret them with an open mind and an unbiased opinion, maybe information that you get from your practitioners, from your PT, from your chiro, from your fitness trainer, whatever it is, because things are not usually how they are on paper. And they usually are multivariate. There's more than one cause to one issue. And there's, it's impossible to draw a direct correlation between an injury and a cause and a structure. God, I wish you could see us right now. We're like nodding our heads like, <laughs> we're like crazy. Bobble, bobbleheads <laughs> over here, just like I know we're fighting the same fight. Yeah. Totally. And I mean, that's like half of the purpose of why we wanted to start this podcast. And I've really loved where we do our PT pearls before every interview. And we're looking through research a bit here and there. And the end message is generally all of this information is great. How do we apply it to your body? And mm-hmm. I love your story, and I think it really reflects a lot of people, you know, as they get either later in life or they hurt their back for the first time. Again, it doesn't have to be somebody who's broken 25 records lifting heavy weights that goes through a story like this. The first time somebody goes to pick up a box and really has a severe, you know, back injury and debilitating pain, 
you know, mm -hmm. six months later, even when the back might feel slightly better, do you think they want to go down and pick up that same box? Like, no. And I see that so much when I was in the clinic where the first time you get somebody to pick any kettlebell up off the ground and not feel that pain that they felt the first time, or even if it's off like a 12-inch stool, there's always mm -hmm. that variation of the exercise that can empower the person to say, oh my gosh, I'm strong and I can do that again. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think chasing the diagnosis is the most common occurrence that we see as physical therapists too, is that tell me what exactly happened. Tell me exactly the diagnosis. Tell me exactly the little pinpoint that I need to find that went wrong when really we're chasing the wrong thing, you know? Absolutely. Barking up the wrong tree. Exactly. And then what ends up happening, right, is that People usually end up, especially with back pain, end up getting into that downward spiral of deconditioning. And that's what happened to me, but so slowly, so slowly that I didn't realize until I was totally deconditioned. Mm -hmm. and I'll, I'll talk a little bit more about that. So obviously, you know, the first thing that you do when you have an injury is you take a step back. Maybe you take a, a couple of days off. Maybe you take a couple of weeks off. Maybe you take a couple of months off. Obviously, that's the first thing you do. Not from movement altogether, but from movements that are painful to you. So to me, that looked like no barbell movements and just focus on kettlebell and dumbbell and uh, aerobic training for a long time. Anyway, anytime I try to get back to the way that I was lifting previously and adding more training sessions, I would get hurt to eventually a point where I had dealt with so many of these instances that I thought that the only way out was to decrease my training frequency, cut it by half. So when I first started training in powerlifting, I would squat four times per week, deadlift three times per week, bench four times per week, which has an insane amount of, of volume and frequency, but I was doing great. I was making progress. I was doing fine. So anyway, fast forward five years later, a few back injuries in, and I was doing two squat sessions on a good week, maybe a back squat and a front squat, and one deadlift session every 10 days. Mm. Obviously, I wasn't getting any better. And I didn't realize that I had fallen into that deconditioning cycle until I spoke with Greg Lehman yeah. on actually on my podcast. We had a conversation and I took advantage of the opportunity to talk to him about my back pain. And, and I wanted to hear kind of his opinion on the topic. And the first thing that he suggested to me was the completely different approach to what I had been doing. He was the one that pointed out, hey, Steph, you've been taking out sessions. I think what you need to do is putting them back in. Obviously, when you've deadlifted 550 pounds and when you've squatted 500 pounds, it's almost humiliating to go to the gym and lift one plate mm -hmm. or lift two plates or embarrassing to a certain extent, like seriously, I feel embarrassed. I don't want people to look at me lifting one plate or two plates because I don't want them to think I'm weak in it, which is silly, I realized. But that was exactly what I needed. Yeah. Increase my training frequency so I can change the perception that I have of that movement and desensitize my brain to these pain signals that are related to this two movements. It's similar to what fighters do with their shins. Mm -hmm. Where if they're trying to make them less sensitive to pain, they hit them with like bamboos or hit it against like palm trees or who, who knows what else crazy things they do. This is similar to that. Basically, what you're doing is you're increasing the amount of times in a week or maybe in a day that you do a particular movement to pretty much almost trick your brain to understanding that you're safe and that that movement isn't a threat to you. Yeah. 
And were you doing any like traditional PT kind of banded exercises or non-weighted exercises during this time? Or were you still seeing someone? No, honestly, Jen, I've tried every single trick on the book. It just doesn't do much for me. I just made sure that I moved every day, even when I didn't want to. So not one exercise in particular, but just making sure that I was moving and kind of just not allowing myself to be the victim of of the situation. Yeah. And I really love that because I think it also reflects in the way you practice and, and did that experience where you're like, okay, it wasn't any of the hands-on stuff. It wasn't any of these specific little techniques that helped me overcome and become empowered out of my symptoms. Has that had any influence on the way you currently practice and use your DPT right now or your physical therapy license right now? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, there, there were a couple experiences in physical therapy school that really turned me off from the profession. And obviously, I don't mean to come in here and, and bash anyone or anything. This is just my personal experience in my particular program. So my first clinical rotation, I remember it was my first eval. It was a shoulder, my first eval alone. And it was a shoulder. And I remember doing all my special tests and going through my list and taking my history and doing my observation and all those things. And by the end of the eval, I had just a bunch of positives that meant nothing and nothing was really like my book and I was so confused and I was so nervous because I didn't know what diagnosis to give which is the last part of your eval right and uh, I went over to my CI my instructor and I said hey I don't know what this person has and his reply was well just pick one just tell him whatever it doesn't matter and I'm like wait what just pick one like from the like bingo Mm -hmm. like I'm picking one from like the hat. So that was kind of, you know, my first kind of encounter with just how dichotomized and how dissonant research can be to actual practice. Yeah. And then my own experience with back pain, just figuring out that just things don't work like we're being taught really turned me off from even wanting to take my license exam. So I am not licensed and I'm honestly not planning on doing it. All the knowledge that I gained in physical therapy school, I'm I'm extremely grateful for. I do feel like I'm much smarter than when I got into grad school and I learned so much. And obviously, there's a lot of applicable information in there that I got that I still use, just not as a PT, but more so as a strength coach. And, you know, we, we hear that a lot. It's what's the difference between rehab and training? There should be no difference. If you are a physical therapist, you should have a squat rack in your office. You should have weights. You should have kettlebells, you know? So I really don't think there's a difference other than obviously the legalities of putting your hands on someone, which I just don't do. If there's any sort of soft tissue work that needs to be done, I refer out because I don't have a license. I'm not allowed to touch people. But I do the same things that I would be doing with, with a PT client outside of, you know, any sort of hands-on treatment. I think that's so powerful, Steffi, because people need to hear this over and over again. Touch is powerful. I'm not an anti-manual or anti-touch at all. I think there's a lot of powerful stimulation and safety that can bring to the nervous system, right? But there's no one technique that's going to fix you. (laughs) And I think people need to hear that. It wasn't your journey. It hasn't been anyone's journey who we talked to. There's no one technique that someone does to you that changes it. It's 
what you do within your own body. And that's what you did. You continue to strength train. You got the allowance and the okay that it is okay to continue lifting more Mm -hmm. and became a mindset shift within what your lifestyle and your brain gets to interpret in a different way. And that is the most empowering thing for people is to hear that you don't have to rely on someone to touch you and give you these specific techniques and fancy things in the body. It's what you do on a day-to-day basis in your own body. Yeah. I think the biggest mistake newly grads make is that, and you can tell me if, if you experienced that same thing, it's that constant chase for that one, what do you call it? A weekend course of, you know, maybe ART or FMS or these all these different things that they think they need to be a good therapist. When in reality, what you need to be a good therapist is have amazing communication skills, be able to empathize with your patient, be able to understand where they're coming from, where they're at in their lives. What kind of role does that injury play into their lives? How important do they perceive it to be? These are the types of conversations we need to be having with our patients. And what kind of letters come after your name don't matter. Because like you said, there's not one particular treatment or modality that's going to fix everyone. Ultimately is how can you change their relationship with movement and how can you change their perception of their injury and of pain? And that is only accomplished through critical thinking and excellent communication. Snaps and claps to that. I mean, again, Jen and I are just going wild over here because since I wanted to get into PT and I was really lucky with this, the first people that I observed, I saw them doing something kind of similar to this. And they just said, you know, we as PTs don't have all the answers, but when I have someone come in and I put a smile on their face and I have them walk out smiling, feel, feeling confident and happy about what they did, that's the healing. So you have to yeah. talk to somebody in their head and in their heart before you look anywhere else. And that's, that's where the healing happens. So I really appreciate that. That's kind of the last big bang you're going to end on. Focus on the mindset and focus on the thoughts that you're surrounding what's going on in your body with and you will make leaps and bounds beyond searching for the fix. So I know that you have a lot of information and a lot of stuff out there and maybe some programs that people would be interested in looking into if they resonated with some stuff you're saying. Can you tell us where they can find more of that stuff? So you can find out more about our workout programs at hybridperformancemethod.com. We pretty much are your one-stop shop for all things training and nutrition. If you're interested in any type of training, CrossFit, Olympic weightlifting, powerlifting, leg, back, upper body, whatever it is. And if you need nutrition guidance as well. And I would say you are the person, you're the queen to learn from for Mm -hmm. this information and beginning to understand what healthy and strength training can look like. Because just like you said, going to back to the very beginning when you looked at that that high school team who had no idea really what they were doing. You know, when you learn the proper techniques, tools, programming, it can have a massive difference within your body. Mm -hmm. And where on social media can people continue to learn more about who you are and just your knowledge that you have to share? Yep. They can find me at Steffi Cohen on Instagram or Steffi Cohen on YouTube as well. Perfect. That's fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing some of your story. I know there's so much more we could talk about, so maybe we'll have to have another one of these in the future. Yeah, we'll have to do part two. Yeah. (laughs) Thanks, Steffi. Thank you. 
Thank you guys. Have a good day. Thank you so much for listening to us on the Optimal Body Podcast, where we're going to continue to bring you the PT pearls and guests that will help you find your optimal body. Now, head over to wherever you listen to this and leave us an honest review and head to docgenfit.com backslash podcast where you can find all the show notes. Don't forget that we're going to give away a free month to someone who subscribes, leaves us an awesome review, and lets us know what they want to review on the next PT Pearl. So we'll be choosing that once a week to get into a free month of the Optimal Body Membership.